Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, we've got some news about Donnie Yen getting his Hollywood star. The film Your Name is also a huge hit in China, and Kevin will be telling us more about that. And we've got our film reviews for this week with Godspeed and Disney's Moana. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, sitting in sunny South Florida, and sitting at his reviews desk inside a Taiwanese taxi is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hey there, Paul. How, is, how are you doing? Doing all right, sir. Uh, how's everything going? I'm um, busy, you know, Hong Kong. Um, it's the pace of life. Lots of work, um, <clears throat> but the weather's getting better um how's the weather over your end it's this, still yeah. freaking hot uh we are we are uh this is our first recording in the month of december for this year of 2016 and uh yeah i'm still running the air conditioning over here i don't know what's going on climate change or, or whatever you want to call it uh you know uh, jack frost is angry at south florida but it is really hot and i'm just waiting for some winter weather to come our way so i can get more into the feeling of the season you know I, I will tell you um, that I got a little discovery this week, um, bit of America, uh, found a bit of America, because, you know, DirecTV Now, this new um, streaming, you know, TV thing that, that's just launched in the States, I got a little tip saying that they actually accept, and I'm not sure if it's a loophole that they just started, but they actually accept foreign credit cards. So I've signed up um, for a seven-day trial for at the moment. I, you know, got my credit card number and everything, turned on my VPN, and I've been watching the Simpsons Marathon all week on FXX. Oh, very nice, very nice. Um, it, it's, do you watch that over the internet, or is that part of your cable package, or how do you, how do you get that? Yeah, so it, it's the whole court-cutting thing, right? You pay, it's like Sling TV, you pay a certain number, a certain amount a month, and you get this many channels, and it's live, it's streaming. Of course, you got a bunch of shows on demand as well. Um, so the package I got includes all these, you know, cable channels like IFC, you know, A&E, uh, um, AMC, of course, and, and FXX and FX and NBC. Just no CBS because of, you know, the, the corporate conflict, whatever. And then, yeah, everything else is streaming. It streams live. Um, the only bad thing is you can't use it on your iOS device because they force you to turn on your location um, services. So you turn on GPS. So even if you have a G, uh, VPN on, they force you to... They would know that you're in Hong Kong because the, uh, the the GPS is on on your device. So I have to watch out my computer with my VPN on. Okay, and and when you say your computer, that's uh, a PC or a Mac? Oh, a Mac, a Mac. But, you know, same idea on PC. Right. Um, obviously, because there's no GPS on those devices. But I think this would have been something that... Well, actually, even in America right now, you could have just, you know, cut the cord and join one of these things. Um something that would have been uh and you know they have also have apple tv app and so you could watch it on your tv as well um but yeah it's a nice little cord cutting thing and i hope this loophole never never closes all right and, and what's the name of it again for our listeners out there uh direct tv now so it costs um 35 us dollars a month at the moment but for that money if you sign up now you can get the 70 dollar package um I'm not sure when that offer expires, but you get, you know, like 100 channels or something. So it's a pretty good deal. Yeah. But part of the problem with, with some of this is that when you add everything up, you add a Netflix, you add an Amazon Prime, <laughs> and now within within Amazon, they've got uh, all these. And maybe within Netflix, too, they've got all these sort of mini subscriptions. So you can sign up to Stars. You can sign up to um, – there's this other one, which was like all comedy, but I did a trial of it because they had – current the current episodes of um snl and um that but i think that's like 3.99 a month and you know by the time if you get all these things by the time they all add up it's almost like you're back to a cable bill <laughs> in terms of price so you have to be very careful about 
what you sign up for. I'm currently looking at a service, I think it's called uh, Viki.com, because my wife wants to watch the new Junji Hyun, um, Jiana Jun's uh, Korean TV drama, um, something about the Blue Sea or something, and it's very popular. Yeah, she's a mermaid. Yeah, and, and we both like like her a lot, and so we're trying to find a way to legitimately watch this, and I did some research, and I found this thing called Viki TV, which basically seems like a Netflix but for uh, Korean dramas, but I wasn't sure was it legit, so I was kind of asking around because before I uh, pay some money for it, I want to make sure it's a, a legit service. And so, yeah, there's a lot of these things out there. You know, there's stuff for anime that we mentioned last time. Crunchyroll has been around for a long time, and Sling TV and others. But as you subscribe to more and more of these, your 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 overall bill tends to uh, go up a little bit. So um, you have to watch the cost on some of that. Yeah, it, it's funny that you know you got you know Drama Fever and Wiki.com and like the Crunchyroll. These were all actually formerly pirate websites that has been legitimized. Uh, or leg- make legit um, thanks to big corporations, and now you got these actually very updated. I mean, you can live in America and be just updated on on Asian shows and Asian television. Um, I just find that you know the globalization. This is where globalization works. Yeah, but this is where Hong Kong cinema is failing because uh, more often than not, Hong Kong movies end up on YouTube <laughs> rather than having their own sort of platform that we could subscribe to, which is uh, sad. Hopefully, they'll catch up sooner rather than later. All right, so before we get into our news this week, um, I did want to do a quick coverage, a sort of a catching up segment of Hong Kong films, because I finally got a chance to sit down and watch a Chinese Odyssey 3, which we had Kevin review (laughs) a few episodes back, and he was uh, uh, quite dismayed in his review. And uh, so I sat down and and wanted to give this a go, because I'm a fan of uh, the original two Stephen Chow films, and I'm also a fan of things that sort of revolve around the Journey to the West story or the Monkey King. So I thought, well, I've, I've got to sit there and get through it, and I did, and I kind of came away with the same impression as Kevin with a basically, what am I watching here? Um, <laughs> now, that being said, I think I'm a little bit more lenient on it just because of my love for the source material than perhaps Kevin is, but it's really sadly not a really great movie. Um I, Kevin had mentioned the leads both being somewhat uncharismatic in, in their respective roles. And I have to agree, I mean, neither one sort of brought out the the same level of charisma that the original, uh, you know, obviously you're not going to have anybody who's coming in to fill in for Stephen Chow uh, is, has, a, you know, a long road. What was the, what was the film they did about the flirting scholar, um, uh, movies a couple uh, a couple years back, you know they did was some it flirting remakes. scholar two. It was flirting scholar two, and yeah, and and I don't I forget who was in the lead, but those those are some big shoes. Huang Xiaoming, yeah, Huang Xiaoming. Huang right. Xiaoming. Those yeah. are those are big shoes to try and fill, um, especially if you're trying to pull off comedy. So uh, that's a hard sell. But even the female role, um, who she was replacing um, Athena Chu, right? Uh, she, yeah. That that's that's an equally kind of hard sell. They did have Karen Mock come back to sort of reprise her role in kind of a very weird way. Um, you mentioned Jillian Chung is also there. I guess they're both just kind of slumming it, you know, for lack of a better word. Um, and a couple of other cameos in places. I think the the funniest thing for me was <coughs> Wu Jing as the monk. Um, you know, it did, although some of the things that he does... It's still kind of trying to copy and parody the original material in some ways with pop culture references and things. But the thing that really lost me was when narratively they tried to remove the character of Joker from, you know, or the incarnation, reincarnation, whatever you want to call him, of Joker from the Monkey King itself. It it really just made it much more confusing than than the first two films and by the end I was kind of lost in you know okay so because part of the original narrative is that Joker doesn't believe he's an incarnation of the Monkey King sort of an ava human avatar Um, but here they kind of diverge that even further so by the end I was really confused but I just really didn't care Um, and then they do go back as Kevin mentioned they do go back and sort of give us the classic on the wall moment from the second film and it's basically just a recreation. I'm, 
you know, I was kind of scratching my head through, through the whole thing. Why would you want to just go at, recreate that entire scene with, with a different cast? And you know it's going to have a hard time living up to expectations. Um, the bigger problem, though, is that the special effects were just abysmal in terms, you know, especially when you're considering that this film was made decade or, or, or more after the original films. And it's just, you know, not really not really living up to its expectations. Like a lot of these mainland remakes tend to do too, uh, they riff on the original songs with, um, you know, younger pop idols <coughs> singing them and things. Uh, there is a version of uh, Lao Kaying's famous rendition that's briefly in, in there. Was it, I'm not sure. I guess it's supposed to be Wu Jing singing, although it's just played in the background. It doesn't show him singing. Do you know, was that actually him singing it, Kevin? Or did you watch it in Mandarin or, or, or Cantonese? I saw it in Cantonese, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, the, the thing is, I mean, Wu Jing has a very distinct voice right so i doubt that it might be him but honestly by the time it plays you're just like you're just kind of groaning like oh it's another reminder that the first film is the first two films are better so i don't even care anymore by that point yeah um i mean it is something to watch for those of you who are completionists <clears throat> like me and you 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 kind of uh, must go through it as kevin mentioned this is the yet another time that the director is kind of returning to this material itself as sort of source material i think he's really um enamored of it unfortunately the the way he deals with it here just not very good it's better you're, you're better served to go see some of the other things that he's done um like just another pandora's box which i think it's you know it deals with the time traveling uh magic device whatever that thing is um and but it's got it's got better humor it's it's funnier it's just a better overall story i think um, here, I just think they're kind of cashing in on the original intellectual property. Well, Paul, I have a question for you. Throughout the film, did you just keep hearing this faint, faint sound of ka-ching, 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 ka-ching? <laughs> because I think that's what I, I mean. That's what Jeffrey Lau was, was, you know, Jeff Lau was doing when he was making the film. It's like ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I mean, and and it's sad too, but I, I get it. I guess you know. If you understand the money side of film, that this is a... the interesting thing is, is that I, I remember going to on, on a tour of China when I was a graduate student and we went to one of the film studios out in uh, Sion, I want to think uh, it was out there. And um, I was talking with the teacher who was leading the tour and we were sitting in this big room <coughs> with these studio execs. And it was very much like, you know, it's not like... Uh, you would imagine a meeting with studio execs anywhere else. You know, they were giving this in this nice tour, but it was very sort of formal and inorganic, much like you'd see like in a CCP meeting mm. or something. Um, but I remember my teacher telling us that, uh, you know, we were talking about uh, the, the first two films because they were filmed at that studio and how they, the, the, the general attitude in the mainland towards them was that they were considered cultural rubbish for some reason, which is very interesting because, you know, it's like most of us think on them fondly and I guess they were successful enough in the mainland culturally that they wanted to do uh, this third one. So, uh, yeah, so, it you know, if you're thinking about running out and shelling out for the Blu-ray, uh, you might want to hold off until it's on discount. But, you know, uh, do try and catch it if you're a completionist like me because you know you, you you might feel a bit incomplete just don't blame me when your hour and a half or two hours is up so so another question i just this is a serious question paul not not a jokey question did the um so you watched it in cantonese so you, you heard one chow doing the voice did that throw you off even more hearing the you know stephen chow imitator voice uh now you know now that i think of it it i, I did see the mandarin version so yeah because it wasn't Wen chow doing the voice yeah. and uh it was it, yeah. It just the the thing that threw me was because the song, you know, the main sort of theme song was in Cantonese, the, right? Um, but and and I was surprised with that because that you know the original song was in Cantonese, I guess. Um, but yeah, it, it just it wasn't even the the Mandarin version. The dubbing wasn't very good, um, from what I right from what I remember. 
So is, do you think the Cantonese version is redemptive? Well, Karen Mock and Jillian Chung spoke Cantonese mm. um, in the film because uh, you can tell the actually the lips actually matched. But I, I thought, you know, the two stars, since they were Mandarin speakers, it might sound a little more natural. But I guess there's just no way to fix the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, it's it it, it it is what it is. Uh, it's a mess. And uh, but if you're a fan, go see it. That's all I can say. All right, let us get into our news this week. Not a lot of news, but uh, Kevin is here to tell us uh, what news there is. So let me throw the stick over to him. All right, over here on the news desk, uh, two very uh, short bit of news. Donnie Yen, uh, thanks to the new Star Wars film Rogue One, he is he got his day in the in the sun, literally in, in, on Hollywood uh, Walk of Fame. He's now has his own Hollywood star, um, which for me is like, okay, well, he did spend blah, 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 all these years doing this, and you know, it is promotion for the film, and he is the sort of biggest sort of un perhaps undiscovered star, I guess, in that in that whole cast. But poor Jungwon, you know, I mean, Jungwon is one of China's biggest stars, and and he's. Literally, a better director than the guy who directed his film, than Rogue One. I'm not. Sh- I, I, I'm sure of it. I mean, John Wu is the biggest artist in that whole team of people, and and the guy is totally ignored in the in the promotion, well, at least here in Hong Kong. Obviously, in America as well. I, I don't. I, I think outside of China watchers and and maybe art house <laughs> film watchers, John Wen's probably not a household name. The other question I would have too is, I'm guessing that you know. There's a some kind of criteria for working directly in Hollywood on X number of films or for X number of years. I mean, Donnie's not had a leading role in a Hollywood film, as far as I know. He's had a, several roles, roles where he's been a villain, um, you know, and, and he's been a presence, but not, you know, sort of a, a headlining presence um, till maybe now with Star Wars. But I don't think John Wynn has that same kind of presence right so i'm just wondering if that's perhaps one of the requirements because it is a hot quote-unquote hollywood star right it's not a global walk of fame star well i mean i mean there are a lot of so glo- quote-unquote global stars on that walk of fame but it's true you're right it's the fact that um, um not that many people know about john went outside of of um china and i mean like mainland china not even like like taiwan or well, maybe in taiwan but in hong kong certainly he, he's fans you know the fans of the film company but it's not a household name but still you know i i i i guess donnie donnie's a good choice sure i mean and he, and he, he is having a big year i mean he has the triple x film coming up um and he's got you know he did do um he did have Crunching Tiger two last year, or the, earlier this year, debut in the states, and 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 uh, he did do a couple of Hollywood roles, and this is sort of his big, big Hollywood blockbuster. So I guess it was time that he gets a recognition. But I'm just saying that, like, guys, there's like a way more like a real artist in your team, and for something not even in China, not even in the Chinese uh, publicity, the online publicity I've seen makes any mention of Jiang Wen at all, which. Maybe maybe he's still trying to dust off the the flop that was you know um, um what was the last one um Gone with the Bullets maybe he's, he's still he's still sort of in movie jail for that film but I don't know I I, I just feel like dude I'm excited about seeing Zhang Wen more than Donnie Yen when I see Rogue One but I think that's just me mm, yeah well, it'd be interesting uh, to see how large uh, their roles are and I I will say this. Uh, I, I am anxious to see Rogue One like any Star Wars fan. Somebody posted something in the Love HK Film movie group over on Facebook, um, which is kind of a profile of Donnie and his character. And I urge you, if you do not want to be spoiled about the film, do not go there and look at it, because it is kind of a spoiler in some ways. And I don't want to talk about it here, because I don't want to oh, spoil hell it. Oh, no, I ain't clicking on that. I don't want to spoil it either, but I am a little after reading it. If that's really the case, if there's no, if there's nothing more than that to it, I'm quite disappointed um, because I do think, I don't know. It's it, 
it's just disappointing, and I won't say any more than that. If you want to be spoiled, go read the profile that the guy posted over uh, on, on the Facebook site. And uh, we'll wait and talk about it once the, once the film is here. But I am looking forward to seeing both of them. And, uh, you know, poor John Wensher. Poor Louis Koo. Poor Louis Koo. Won't somebody think of Louis? Okay. Rant is done. Uh, right. Lewis is in like eight movies a, a, a year, Paul. Of course, yes. we're always thinking of Lewis. He, but he we would, can't avoid I, Lewis. Come on, he would trade all eight of those for one walk-on role in a Star Wars movie. You know that. All right. Um, okay, so last week we t- you ta- told us about the uh, Japanese anime film that's doing very well in Hong Kong, Your Name. It's also doing equally well in China now. Yes, that's right. Um, so Your Name, it's a really rare that a Japanese film opens in China um, uh, that close to its uh, theatrical release. But Your Name, the, the animation, uh, did open last weekend in China. And it actually was number one. It beat Swordmaster and um, what's the other Hollywood? Allied and uh, Disney film Moana. And to become a number one film and by a huge, huge margin. It's already made like 300 million RMB. In, in three days, it's like the highest grossing or the biggest weekend for a 2D animated film ever in China. Um, so yeah, it's just this, this movie's unstoppable, man. Even if you even it, it could even break the, 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 the box office record in China. That's how powerful this film is. And I'm talking about Japanese from here doing well in China or, or as Donald Trump would say, China. Um, so it, it's just pretty amazing and also back in japan it's now surpassed house moving castle to become the second highest domestic film of all time with only one film in its way and that's spirited away so and it's also now i think the fourth or the fifth highest grossing film of all time in japan um just 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 a phenomenal uh success and actually even my corker and i were still trying to figure out why this is a big deal um and we still can't figure it out. But, you know, like I said, really phenomenal success um, for this film. And I, I just like, I just love the idea that Japanese film is beating even like other Hollywood and Chinese films in China. I just love that idea. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that they haven't kind of, somebody in, in Sarfter, the, the higher up industry hasn't sort of come, come down on it hard, you know, as a, with some anti-Japan sentiment or something. Well, I, I think partly it's because Sarved um, is desperate to get box office figures up um, this year because, you know, box office overall is down. It's like the first decline they've had in in many years. And they're very keen on not letting it drop. So they are trying to import as they're, they're allowing quietly allowing more imports, especially films that, you know, have huge buzz or, you know, could do well in the box office and your name. They did. They 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 picked the right candidate with your name. It certainly has injected a lot of you know, fle- uh, fresh, sort of fresh blood into the box office. Whereas uh, films like Swordmaster and Allied, they are flopping badly in China. So um, maybe Sark will get what it wants. East Green, West Green. Our first film review for East Screen this week. Kevin, you're going to tell us about the Michael Hoy film, Godspeed. That's right. Godspeed, uh, last week we were talking about this film um, because it had eight Golden Horse nominations and ended up winning only one, um, which is a bit sad. Um, but anyway, um, this is the latest film from director Chung Mong Hong. Um, you may have not have heard of this guy. He's um, a Taiwanese director obviously and uh but he's better known for sort of his more offbeat um very weird films uh previously he's directed a film called parking um which had uh chairman Toe, i believe uh so a, a psychological thriller that had um um guy, was that older actor um the guy who Wusha, the older guy it had joseph chang and it had uh, Jimmy Jimmy Wanyu, sorry Jimmy Wanyu, that's right. Um, it also did a film called The Fourth Portrait in 2010. So this is fourth feature film, um, and it's a bit um, interesting because um, it stars Michael Hui, who was making a big screen comeback. What was the last film that Michael Hui was in? I think it was the Patrick Kong comedy, right? Delete My Love. Uh, I yes, think. yes, I believe so. Yeah, Delete My Love, a totally forgettable, terrible, terrible supporting role, but. Um, 
yeah, he does his I think his first starring role in many years. Um, but anyway, here's a story. Uh, Nado, played by Taiwanese comedian Nado, is a drug mule who travels across Taiwan delivering top quality heroin from Taipei to the south. A middle-aged Hong Kong native, Lao Xu, played by um, Michael Hui. Uh, who came from Taiwan some 25 years ago, goes out of his way to be hired by Nado, and even though he's been driving all night, agrees to take him down to the south in hopes of making some extra cash. Little does Lao Xu knows that he is driving straight into a highly volatile situation. So, uh, like I said earlier, Chong Hong, uh, a very offbeat director, this may be his commercial, most commercial film, but that, that's really not saying much, considering that his first film, Parking, is about a guy who couldn't find parking space and ends up going on this weird night journey and uh so is about a guy who suffers from some some kind of psychological disorder ends up killing a bunch of people in the woods um so this this is really his most commercial film but it is essentially two films in one a very amusing uh rogue comedy a dark comedy and a very odd gangster drama you know with the typical um extreme violence and double crosses but the thing is because the plot the, the two stories are really weaved together quite tightly in that you can't really remove one from the other but still the styles really clash um so on one end you have you have a, a very sort of funny rogue comedy about these two unlikely characters you have michael Hay, the the loser and you have nato this 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 um um, not quite worldly drug meal who is like trying to make his way down and trying to get away or trying to get rid of this. Sometimes trying to get rid of this this weird Hong Kong guy who's clearly just trying to make money and not really equipped for the job. Um, and it's you know it's a really interesting sort of comedy dynamic going on there. But it, on the other hand, you have this violent gangster movie of uh, a gangster boss played by Leon Dai, um, and and you know, but bunch of double crosses and things like that so it, it's very it, the two f- stories clash quite a bit and doesn't really fit together they don't yeah, um, into one coherent film uh, but I think Chung might be trying to make his own sort of Hong Kong film there's a very uneven tone you have the sudden burst of violence and of course everyone is using their own name so Nado is playing Nado and Lao Xu actually in Cantonese is Hui so you know Michael Hui is playing a guy with a surname Hui um uh, so it's a very sort of in, in in its core, I guess, in the spirit of it, it's trying to be a very Hong Kong film, but it is made in this Chumo Hung style, um, and and it comes off as not really like a Hong Kong film, actually, very much like a dark, offbeat, uh, uh, hybrid thing that's quite hard to identify, and and it's a bit of a hard sell, honestly. But, dude, welcome back, Michael Hui. This is stuttering, lovably scheming, as smart-ass Michael Hui that we knew back in the 80s, and he has one scene here, speaking Cantonese, and it is that, exactly that, you know, speaking to himself, Michael Hui's, you know, stuttering guy that we miss so much, and, and I, I just laugh like hell during that scene, because it's like, oh, that's that's like, that's guy we know so he's so good in this film he's really funny in this film um even he even uh, embraces the bad mandarin and sort of turns it into his own thing but he's so good in the film that i really wanted to see more of him but because of you got that two stories going on he's really only in about just about two-thirds of the film okay um so the film you know it would follow him and the guy the nado for a while and then it cuts to leon dying the in the mobster boss in that plot for a bit and then sort of jumps back and forth um so despite the mandarin and and actually michael has talked repeatedly about how difficult he had the language because he didn't really speak his mandarin well he he, he said yes to the film because chomo hong said it's okay you're you're you know you're supposed to be hong kong native you're supposed to have an accent so come over here and make the film but then when he goes to taiwan he, it turns out that Chung Mo Hong is asking for someone who has been living in Taiwan for more than two decades. So he kept getting his Mandarin corrected. So Michael Hoy has spoken quite publicly about how much how much difficulty he has speaking Mandarin in the film. And you could tell from from his from all the publicity he was doing in in in, in Taiwan that you know he was really having difficulty you know with trying to speak the language. But I think he still strikes up a pretty good report with Nado. Um, Nado is a you know very over the top local comedian who's playing a, a more than dramatic than usual role. Um, he's got a straight man here, um, so I think they have good chemistry. Um, and it's really funny because 
usually in a film like this, Drug Mio should be should you know half sort of the he should half he's the protagonist, right? He should be getting more of a background, but ends up that this taxi driver who's sort of dragged into a situation whose story is not really doesn't really take the main perspective of the film. He sort of gets the most background. He even gets like a flashback, you know, with his Taiwan wife and his life, and and you seem to understand. Actually, you seem to know his character the best out of everyone else in the film. Um, so overall, it's a very flawed film. I came out of it not really knowing what I've seen, but I know what I like, and you know the act. Then that's the actors, and there's some really great sort of comedic moments in the film, and it's a very stylish film. Chomo Hong, if anything, um, has never been sort of accused as being a boring director. You know, he's he's very much a stylist, and it's a very pretty film, very well made technically. Um, so I think those things are enough to to earn a recommendation. So uh, it's playing in Hong Kong um, starting early January. Um, so a DVD release is almost is pretty much a guaranteed thing coming, you know, probably sometime in the spring. Um, and like I said, any fan of Michael Hoy should really catch this. This is really the real Michael Hoy film you guys have been waiting for, not not crap like Three of a Kind or or Delete My Love. Hmm. So. You know, based on what you've said with regard to the language and and that being worked into some of the performance, I'm my assumption is this is all sync sound, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Ta- Taiwan films mostly usually shot in sync sound, I think, and they rarely dub actors. The only last time I saw a Taiwanese film actually dub an actor was Isabella Learn um, in Sylvia Chan's uh, Murmurs of the Heart, because let's face it. Isabella, not great Mandarin, and her character is supposed to be Taiwanese. So, so she was she was dubbed. But um, no, every, every, in this film, especially indie films, everyone is sync sound. So, yeah, definitely, everyone is definitely speaking sync sound in this film. All right, very good. Um, would you say that the because you did said that there are these sort of bursts of violence um, that give it the uneven tone? Is it is it more of a comedy than? the 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 darkness that comes out or is it more of sort of the dark violent drama and with comedy in there which takes the precedence in your mind well just because you know it's chomo hong's style so i think definitely it's the latter he's definitely much better at this dark sort of drama things and then he somehow he's lucky enough to have very funny actors um who give him the, the com- com- comedic edge that he needs, the sort of chemistry that he needs, because a lot of the comedy film are based on the performances and the sort of look and the way that these actors deliver the lines. I think that that Chung Mo-hung is not a particularly funny person, um, so his film, the story itself is not very funny, but but his actors are very funny, or they, they deliver very funny lines. So I wonder how much impro- how, how much improvisation there is in there um, to make the film to, to you know to bring in the comedic bits, but yeah, I think it's much more like a uh, more of a violent sort of gangster, sort of dark dark role film with you know with moments of comedy. All right, we'll take a short break, and I'll be back with my West Screen review this week with Disney's Moana. I'd rather be shiny like a treasure from a sunken pirate wreck. Scrub the deck and make it look shiny. I will sparkle like a wealthy woman's neck. Just to say, don't you know? Fish are dumb, dumb, dumb. They chase anything that glitters. Beginners. Oh, and here they come, come, come to the brightest thing that glitters. Mm, fish dinners. I just love free food. And you look like seafood. Welcome back. So for our West Screen review this week, we're looking at Disney's Moana, the latest uh, 3D animated feature from uh, The House of the Mouse. This comes from director Ron Clements and John Musker, who, um, if you follow animation at all, you'll remember they were the runners for things like The Great Mouse Detective, The Little Mermaid, (coughs) Aladdin, Hercules, more recently, uh, 2009's, I guess it's the last sort of 2D Disney animation with uh, The Princess and the Frog. And this is their first sort of venture into directing the 3D style, which has now become dominant in both with both Pixar and um, Disney films. So the story, a young Polynesian princess named Moana must undertake a journey to restore the heart of the island goddess Tefiti. But to do so, she will need to recruit the help of the demigod Maui, who originally stole the heart 
and together they have to attempt to overcome the lava god Tekka. So this is a fun film. I mean, it's a Disney film. Um, their quality in terms of animated work has really um, risen in the last couple of years. We go back to, I guess, what people will point to as sort of the starting point with Tangled. Um, then, of course, with uh, Frozen coming coming out and, and really sort of uh, taking everybody by snowstorm, if you will. And now with um, Moana, they are trying to sort of follow suit and, and find the magic that they had with with Frozen, at least in terms of being a pop culture powerhouse. Um, with the story itself, the there are quite a few typical beats that can be found both in Dix Disney and Pixar canon. Um, that, for me, I think is probably the weak point uh, for the film, is that there are things that we've seen before so many times, and I think there were opportunities to branch out and, and perhaps try something different in terms of some of the some of the story structure and, and some of the characterizations. But they did take a few risks. So um, one of the main things that they did was they sort of changed the traditional uh, Disney princess narrative, you know, which is usually the Disney princess must find a prince, right? Um, to some extent, there was still elements of that within Frozen, although they sort of changed the nature of some of the more traditional elements like you know what does it mean to for you know uh, to, to have true love break a spell this kind of thing so they go a little bit further this time in that there's no love story which i think is a nice change this is just uh really the main character of moana uh trying to you know overcome her you know the the challenges that she face that she has to face and a lot of those challenges are internal um, and with that character, they went to a newcomer, and I'll try and say her name correctly, Auli uh, Cravalho, who is a Polynesian descent, born in Hawaii. She's mixed with, the, she's got some, I think, Portuguese. Um, she's got some Chinese. She's got Polynesian all mixed in her background. Um, and she's really the perfect candidate for the, the main character. Um, she's got the voice. She's got the sort of attitude that comes out in her in her uh, voice acting and from what i read i don't know if this is actually true she was the last audition uh, of, of the hundreds of uh, you know adult people who went out to audition for the role she was the very last one and she was the one that they went with so she is here and, and she's got a lot on her shoulders taking up the lead as a newcomer uh, in a disney film and she handles it really really well on the flip side of this we have the man who i think he was named as People's Man of the Year, or, or most, what is it they, they they do, Kevin? The most handsome man of the year, or the 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 best looking man of the year, something like that, right? Sexiest man of the year. Sexy, like, yes, like yeah, a yeah. time. You know, the, sexiest the, man of the year. Yeah, you, you won that a few years back. So, um, th th this is the thing. Couple couple years in a row. Paul. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, this was this yeah. year's sexiest man of the year, or sexiest man alive, whatever it is, is uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. And he has also become one of the, if not the highest paid male actor right now, one of the highest paid male actors for roles um, that he takes on. But he's always done a lot of work with Disney. He's always, um, you know, appeared in these sort of family films. And so here he is in his first animated feature, and they have a really good chemistry together um, in terms of the screen vocal characterizations. Uh, I really liked seeing the two of them play off each other. In some ways, this is almost like a road trip movie but it's a road trip movie on the ocean sailing on the ocean and so that chemistry really helps to uh, bring the film along and it's a chemistry that is again very different from a standard princess film because it's not uh there's no sense of romantic chemistry involved it is simply these two characters sort of on a quest and and that's somewhat refreshing um the songs are very good. It is a musical. And who knew The Rock could sing? Uh, I was very surprised that Dwayne Johnson, he actually has a good set of pipes. He takes on one of the songs himself. Some of the other reviews that I've heard and listened to were a bit critical of his song, but I actually like his song um, quite a bit, considering that he's not known for singing. Um, I think he handled it very well. The songs are penned, and in, at least on the soundtrack, some of them are sung by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who everybody... Is, uh, is 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 on everybody's lips right now because of Hamilton, the Broadway musical, 
and uh, things like that. So he was on hand to write some of these songs. And you can kind of tell, you can feel, though, um, if you if you listen to a lot of his music, his style of music, you can feel the songs that he was in, involved with. Um, there is a song here that is called How Far I'll Go, uh, sung by the lead actress. I you can you, you get the sense that this is supposed to be the next Let It Go, right? It even has go in the song title. Um, and it's got musical beats that very much feel like they're riffing on uh, "Let It Go" in terms of in terms of some of the moments they're used in the film, and and tr- trying to have that same impact. I don't know if it's going to have that same cultural impact because "Let It Go" was something that sort of came from out of nowhere, and then before you know it, my daughter's singing it, every kid is singing it, it's playing in elevators and you know all over the place. Um, other characters here, we have Jermaine Clement of uh, Flight of the Concords doing a very sort of Bowie-esque villain uh, of sorts. He plays this uh, giant crustacean um, who I guess is also, he's not just supposed to be a normal crustacean. Um, I guess he's also somewhat divine. And he's got a really fun and for me was one of, one of the better sequences. And um, as I mentioned this, I won't spoil it, but there's a post-credit sequence to stay for after the credits. So uh, be sure you you stay for that, especially if you're a Disney fan. There are quite a few design beats, as I said, that do feel like they're taken out of other films, though. Um, And sometimes it can feel like a patchwork. You've got, for me, the most disappointing was this, you know, it's the idea of the young, sort of strong-willed, almost bullheaded princess going against the parents, right? Um, we've seen this theme in Disney films. I mean, it's been it's been one we've seen in, for example, Mulan. Uh, we've seen this in uh, the Pixar movie Brave. You know, it's the idea that the, the parents know what's best. The daughter needs to stay at home, fulfill her duties, this kind of thing. And I think there was an opportunity here to play it a little bit different, perhaps culturally, and um try something a little bit different rather than just having this having this tension between you know the duty and freedom and 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 the, the wanting to go out and and do what you feel your calling is kind of an idea um so in that part it sticks to very traditional disney princess territory which for me was probably the the lower point of the film that doesn't ruin the film by any any way shape or form um i had just hoped that they could have made the parent, or especially the father-daughter relationship, um, something a little newer than what we norm- what we normally see. There's a grandmother here too, and she's kind of the wise, somewhat spiritual, somewhat connected to things kind of Obi-Wan Kenobi style mentor. Um, here too, we've seen that kind of theme before as well. Uh, it still works in the context of the film. Um, other things that we see, for example, one of the great things about Maui is he has these Polynesian tattoos all over his body and they change um, as, you know, they're, they're representative of the feats that he's done, the, the accomplishments that he's done, but they also animate um, to sort of serve as a chorus, right? So uh, at certain points in the movie, they, you know, animate on his skin and um, they act like his, you know, his Jiminy Cricket, if you will, at times. And uh, it's a very similar thing, too, stylistically to what they kind of did with uh, the movie Hercules um, from a few years back, which the directors also worked on. So you can see them sort of picking out ideas that they've played with before and um, repurposing them here. And again, most of it works. I think a couple things, there were a couple opportunities that were missed, though. Um, But overall, the casting choices were good. And I think finally, for, for a change, largely unobjectionable because, uh, you know, as I said, the main actress um, is of Polynesian descent. Uh, Dwayne Johnson also has, uh, you know, Polynesian in his in his family background as well. So I don't think anybody's going to come out and accuse Disney again of, of sort of whitewashing things. Um, Jermaine Clement, you know, <laughs> Flight of the Concords, they're, they're from New Zealand, but he's playing a crab. So come on. Um, you can't get angry over that, right? Um, the uh, crap so white, Paul. Crap so white, <laughs> indeed. Um, so the casting choices I think were really good. There's some really great sequences too. Um, there's the sequence with you'll see it in the trailer with these sort of animated coconuts called the Kakamora, 
And uh, they've actually said that this is an homage to Mad Max Fury Road, this whole sort of action sequence. Um, you can find there's, a, I think, a Business Insider article out there that talks about this. For me, I think my favorite sequence was the sequence called Shiny, which features um, uh, Jermaine Clement and it features his song. And I just like it because I, I kind of like the song. I like when he riffs on David Bowie and sounds a little bit like Tim Curry and David Bowie had a kid. And I like that the colors and the animation that they do. And it's not a super action sequence, but it's a, it's my favorite sequence, I think, of the film overall. Um, so overall, I really enjoyed it. My wife liked it. It was a bit too much story for my four-year-old. Um, so if you've got a four-year-old or around that age and you're thinking of maybe taking them, um, there's a little bit of violence there. You know, there's a couple scary things at times, but... Um, for her, I think it was just the story was a little bit too in-depth for her to follow, and she was kind of done with it towards the end. Um, not quite as flashy or glossy or, you know, cutesy as something like the Trolls movie from earlier this year. So, But for, I think for older kids and adults, there's plenty here for them uh, to love. So if, you've, uh, if you enjoy animation, if you enjoy Disney movies at all, uh, this is definitely one of their better ones. I'm very happy that they're you know continuing on with this level of quality going forward and i'll be very excited to see what they come up with next interesting that you were talking about how there's no um love story i mean i think the last disney movie to do that was brave i think well brave was pixar um right right yeah. right but that and was still disney. yeah well i mean th but there was the idea that her father um there, there was a, a love interest because, like, the father wanted to marry her off or something to one of the other clans, if I remember correctly, and she just didn't want any of that. And there, so there wasn't a direct love story. But here, there's just like it's there's there's no men there's not there there's not even the appearance of anybody who could be a potential interest. It's just really about her and the calling that she has, you know, to do this task, to do this journey and getting out and, and doing it and overcoming her fears to do it and, and this kind of thing. So it's very different in that, that respect. I mean, even Frozen, you had the implied love interest between um, the, the sister and the, you know, the, the, the villain and the marriage. The and ice all, guy. Yeah, all, all of that stuff. And yeah, the, the ice guy with his reindeer. Um, so that's there. So so here, there's nothing like that, which is great. It's really it's a chance to sort of focus on her. The other really good thing too is that she is not um, as a character. Moana is not. I mean, she gets in trouble, and she works with Maui. Maui is a you know he's a demigod, but he's also a trickster. He's kind of a jerk at times, and um, they really play off that idea. And she, but sometimes you know. He comes to her rescue. Sometimes she comes to his rescue. And it's almost like, you know, to, to use a WWE or WWF parable, it's almost like tag team to some extent, right? Because, I mean, it's not like she always has to be saved by this guy who's a demigod and who has powers. Sometimes she's doing the saving, which is great. It's, you know, sometimes she's uh, large and in charge. And that's, a, it's, it's again, it's this nice sense of chemistry between the two that is very different for a quote-unquote Disney princess film. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. You have been listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Schnauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. If you would like to be part of the show, get in touch with us via the website at congcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com. You can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash congcast. You can email us eastscreen at gmail.com and you can follow us on Facebook at East S West S. Um, you can also check out forthcoming reviews that I've written. I haven't written reviews for a while but I've got a couple coming out a bit later this month on lovehkfilm.com for the Category 3 movie 
supermodel. Not my, not usually my area of expertise, but uh, I I offered to write it and I did, and uh, you can get to read it. And also, I did one for the movie we talked about earlier this summer, Girl of the Big House. So you can look at some of my verbiage there. And a big thanks to Ross Chen for undertaking the editing of my work, which uh, I again I don't normally write, so. Uh, it was a large task to edit it down, and I thank him for that. Um, but also, I urge you to follow along with the writings and things that Kevin does. Kevin, where can they find out more about you? Uh, you can read my work on Discovery Magazine. Uh, that's the in-flight magazine for Cathay Pacific Airways, and also Sicro Magazine, which is for Cathay Dragon Airways. Um, this month, December, you have my interview of Johnny Toe. Um, I also did a piece about the Bourne uh, series and its use of locations. Um, as well as a World Film Club piece on the Korean disaster thriller um, Tunnel. So you can you know, read that on your Cathay Pacific or Dragon Air flight, or sorry, Cathay, Cathay Dragon flight, uh, or you can find the magazine uh, on the iPad App Store, uh, only for the iPad. Um, or you can follow me on Twitter. I am at the Golden Rock. That's one word, the Golden Rock. Um, or you can email me at thegoldenrock at gmail.com. Excellent. Next show, episode 211211. Hopefully, we'll be talking about the new Derek Yee film, Swordmaster. And I'll be uh, shaking things up a little bit uh, as we are on a little bit of a Hollywood break here. I'm going to talk about an East Screen film, too, of sorts. And that is the animated feature Monkey King Hero is Back, which is a... 215, uh, 2015 film uh, released in China, but it's recently gotten a U.S. and U.S. dub release over here in the U.S. So I'll be talking a little bit about that. All of that and more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast saying, never steal the heart of a goddess, and we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody.